reading of God's Word this morning. I don't know about you, but I want to be under the spout where the blessings pour out. And that is happening here at White Oak Baptist Church. Let's read together verse number 3, and then we're going to turn over to Psalm 119 and verse 9 and read a few verses there. Verse 3. Everybody find it? Let's read it out loud. Here we go. Ready? Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Psalm 119, verse number 9. I'm going to read verse 9 by myself, and then we'll read verses 10 and 11 together. Listen intently and follow along in your Bible, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my Together, verse 10, ready? With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Again, verse 11, together. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We're in our series, uh, Rooted in Christ. Our theme this year is Rooted in Christ. And we're going to be looking at this topic of the purity of cleansing. The purity of cleansing. Let's pray. Lord, as we have gone through the process this year of farming, agri- uh, the agricultural process of farming or cultivating our heart, uh, Lord, we come to a sermon that's very important. And so, Lord, we pray that everyone here would, would get exactly from it what they need. And, Lord, I'm going to take some hard stances against sin today because sin is our enemy. I hate sin in me and I hate it in the people sitting in front of me because, Lord, sin destroys. Sin tears down. Sin is ugly and nasty. But, Lord, your way is perfect. And so, Lord, as we talk about being cleaned up and living cleaned up, may we not uh, bristle at it or buck at it or make fun of it, but, Lord, may we embrace it and see the importance of it. And may we be that tree planted by the river of water in Psalm 1 that brings forth fruit because, Lord, we're washed, cleansed, and we're washed and we're cleansed and and kept, diseases are kept away from. And, uh, Lord, our hearts are kept uh, pure. And where we fall and fail, we're quick to confess and, and, and get it right. So, Lord, help us this morning to take an honest evaluation of ourselves. And, Lord, leave here a little bit better than we were when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, so far this calendar year, we have prepared our heart's soil. We went to Luke 8 and we looked at the four types of soil of the heart. And we talked about those four different types of ground that the farmer threw his seed on. The path soil and that soil that had been mashed down and stepped on. And the Bible tells us in Luke 8 that the seed landed on the surface of the soil. But because the heart was hard or the soil was hard, the seed never seed never entered into the soil. And Satan came along and scooped it away lest they be saved. And then we looked at the soil that landed on the rocks. And uh, 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 the, the seed gladly was received, but uh, there was no depthness of earth. And those rocks represented uh, uh, problems and trials and troubles. And, and sure enough, uh, there was something that shot up real quick, but then the sun came and withered that away. And the sun represented temptation. And we talked about how that if you don't deal with the baggage of the rocks in the soil of your heart, Your Christianity or the outward evidences of your Christianity will be short-lived. Then we looked at the third type of soil and we talked about the the weeds that will grow up if you don't deal with the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And these things grow up in our life and they choke out 
the evidences of our Christian life. And then we looked at the fourth type of soil that talked about bringing forth fruit a hundredfold, some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. And we, we dealt with preparing the soil. Then we moved on to another series of sermons and we looked at the importance of uh, planting the seed. And we looked at the right types of seed to plant. And not to go real deep into that series, but remember, we looked at four different types of seeds that we're to plant. And one of those types of seeds was was the Scriptures. We want the Scriptures of God's Word sown onto the soil of our heart. We want the Word of God thrown into our... And again, seed represented ideologies. And it gets down and the roots represented mentalities that develop in us. And up from that becomes the fruit of our mind and our mindset. So we talked about the mindset of the Word of God. Philippians 2.5, if you know the verse, say it with me. Ready? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. What is the mind of Christ? Well, it is to humble yourself, abase yourself. Uh, James tells us that if you will humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, then He will lift you up. And, you know, the Christian life, by and large, is a battle because we're, we're brought low. Either we humble ourselves or God humiliates us to bring us low. And then what? He lifts us up. And then we look around and say, look where I got. Boy, I'm the big deal. And and, and look how uh, look what God's using me to do. And it, it's not look what God's using. It's not look what God's using me to do. It's look what God's using me to do. And we get lifted up in our pride. And God comes along and says, get back down, boy. Get back down, young lady. Get back down, uh, uh, gal. And I'm going to humble you so I can use you again. You know why? God does not want to compete. For his glory. He does not want you to complete, compete for his glory. I think of Nebuchadnezzar who stepped out on the porch of his kingdom and he said, Look at this kingdom that I have built. And God struck him down and turned him into a beast of the field. And he crawled around in his backyard for seven years like he was one of the cattle eating the grass. And and and, and, and just had lost his mind. And after seven years, after he'd been humbled, God gave him his, his mind back. And then he glorified God because it was God that had built the kingdom through him, not him that had built the kingdom. And uh, we must cast out the seeds of the Scripture in to our heart. A couple of the other types of seeds we looked at, one of them was suffering. Now, I'm looking at a group of people sitting in front of me this morning, and I know many of you very well, and you've come to me and bore your, your troubles and your sorrows to me, and, and last week we talked about how God is pruning our lives to uh, take away things out of the tree of our life that shouldn't be there, and, and some of you are going through really hard trials right now, and you feel as though you go to bed and you can't take a deep breath because of the stress that's on on you and and you're really struggling with that and can I tell you this this morning that the Lord is going to throw the seeds of suffering into your heart and what is the harvest that comes from the seeds of suffering that land in our heart well if we let God do it the right way part of that is grace grace we give grace to others when we have suffered this week we had those two in uh, neighborhood Bible time evangelists that were here with us. And they climbed in my car Friday morning, early, early, uh, uh, yes, Friday morning. And I brought them here to the church so we could run the bus route and pick up the boys and girls in Bridgeport to get them here. And I said to the two boys, I said, are you open to some 
pastoral advice. These two boys want to be pastors. And they said, yes, please share. One of the things I told them is that God generally will not use you two greatly until He has first hurt you deeply. Now, we got to church. And we're standing in the lobby and we're talking to Brother Ernie. And Brother Ernie was here doing some work. And Brother Ernie was telling me about uh, some, some hard times going on with his family and, and, and whatnot. And I looked at the boy and I said, you will not be able to sympathize with others who are hurting if you've never hurt yourself. Now, Christian, God may be taking you through a really hard time right now because he's teaching you grace. Grace in your life and giving you grace to share with others in their lives. And you'll be able to sit down and grieve with someone who's grieving because you know what it's like to have great loss and you know what it's like to hurt. The seeds that we sow in our heart. Well, those seeds go down deep into our heart and our soil has been prepared. We've gotten rid of the rocks and we've gotten rid of of the weeds and, and, and that's a constant battle, but we've gotten rid of the weed seed and down has gone the right seeds and the roots have run deep and we're rooted in Christ. Up comes the sprout. Up comes the little uh, tree. And it's thin at first and it thickens and thickens and thickens. And now we are working in our series of protecting that sprout, protecting that little tree. And not to elaborate, but we've looked at several sermons in this series. We looked at John 15 and talked about abiding in Christ. How that we are to abide in Christ and His words need to be up with us. John 15 verse 6 says, without me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything. Oh, you can go out and do things, but in the grand scheme of eternity, it doesn't matter. Ye can do nothing apart from Christ. And so we talked about abiding in Christ. And then we looked at engrafting the Word of God. How that our roots are in Christ, and then we are the person that God is using to minister to the world, but then we're engrafting, we're, we're tying in the Word of God. And out from our life come these different fruits. The, the fruit of love. And then over here, this branch is putting out joy. And this one over here is putting out peace and long-suffering. All around the tree, uh, 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 goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. And, and then another branch uh, comes up and, and, and we're reproducing ourselves and others. And we're seeing people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. As Proverbs 11.30 tells us, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls... He that convinceth souls of the gospel, he that winneth souls is wise. The engrafting of God's word. Then we looked at the process of purging. And when we talked about purging, we were talking about the ground around the tree. Remember I put pictures up on the screen? And you have this beautifully manicured flower garden. And then around the garden, uh, other people had let it go. And all these other weeds had grown up. We must get into the flower bed of our heart on a regular basis and pull the weeds up that are sucking up the nutrients and keeping us from doing all things. In that sermon, we looked at two uh, uh, t- uh, t- two aspects of purging that God does. We talked about how one, God one day will purge all transgressors. He will gather up those who have died in their sin, who refuse to accept Christ, and He will purge His floor, Matthew tells us. Luke tells us, He will cast them into hell. For those of us that are saved, God is working to purge your heart. You're not a transgressor if you're saved, but you do live with transgressions in your heart. How many of you here this week have broken the law of God in some way? Would you raise your hand? If you're not raising your hand, you're probably lying right now, so you need to go and raise it. Okay? 
I could raise both my hands. Listen, when those buses breaking down this week, my patience was tried more than once. Okay? Um, I didn't cuss. Glory, hallelujah. There's transgression in my heart. The Lord's working to purge that out. Last week we looked at the pruning, the power of pruning, and how one-third of a fruit tree is pruned every year. Cut away, and dead branches, dying branches, diseased branches are cut away. John 15, verse 3, in the midst of all of this pruning and purging that's going on, in John 15, Jesus is instructing His disciples either in the upper room or en route to the Mount of Olives where He'll be arrested. Jesus says in verse 3, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. I want us to uh, fine-tune our focus. I want us to hone in on verse 3 this morning of John 15. In, in, in principle, topically, I want us to look at the power, or rather the purity, of being cleansed or cleaning. Now, a farmer keeps his trees clean, yes, by purging the weeds around its roots, and by pruning the excess branches and growth off the tree. But you know what else the farmer does? He goes around and he sprays pesticides on it to keep the bugs away. Now, um, I know the organic thing has become a big deal. How many of you folks only buy and eat organic? Would you raise your hand? All right. God bless you. God bless you. I think it's great. Um, uh, I've been going to Jason and Joy Magnarella's house, doing some uh, Bible studies with them. And uh, Joy, uh, Joy's probably in the sound booth, but or rather in the in the in the uh, closed caption room there uh, with uh, baby Asher. But Joy is a big organic person. Everything's organic and she loves organic. And and I go over and I say, no, I don't want that junk. Give me the unhealthy stuff. I want the preservatives and the pesticides because I don't want any bugs living in my stomach and I want to, I want to be preserved. I want to live forever. And so that's our little back and forth joke. But, you know, uh, I know folks that are organic minded. They don't like eating off of trees or crops that have had pesticides sprayed on them. But the reality is that I used to work on a fruit farm as a teenager in Alabama, uh, where all the agriculture is, but they, they spray pesticides on trees to keep the disease and the bugs away. And they're cleaning those trees. They're, they're not going with a bucket of soap and washing down the trees, but in their own way, they're clean. You know how trees are cleaned? God sends rain that pours out of the sky and cleans those trees and makes them clean. Now, do you know you and I need to be clean on a regular basis? You all understand that we need a regular cleansing, a daily cleaning. Now, we are living in an era where, in a church era, please don't miss what I'm saying here. We are living in a church era where it is popular to go to a church where the church behaves like the world. The church isn't real clean when it's walking, talking, dressing, and acting like the world. Now, I'm all about being relevant, and I'm all about modernizing facilities. Boy, we're in the middle, we're in the throes of that right now. And 1 Corinthians 9 says, we're to be all things to all men, but don't miss the phrase, yet without sin. It's this idea that in order to reach a drunk, I must, I must sit at the bar, drink a beer to reach the drunk. Oh no, you don't. In order to reach the rock and roll crowd, I must bring rock and roll into the church. So I can bring them in. Can I tell you something? 
I've never been to a contemporary church service, and so it, some of you like contemporary church services and and um, and all that. And I'm probably going to step on your toes a little bit, but uh, I, I do it with grace. Amen. Um, I step lightly, okay, but I step nonetheless. Um, most Christian churches that try to have a rock concert, it's pathetic, and they they're, they're just not talented. They can't keep up. Now. Um, I've heard Bill and Gloria Gaither sing, How Great Thou Art. And can I tell you, their version is better than our version. Okay, We're not up here trying to perform. We're up here trying to give glory to our God. And uh, when uh, Rachel and Dave and I sang before our practice this morning, our prayer was, Lord, may you get all the glory and us none. And if you sing at this church, that ought to be your heartbeat. We're not getting up here to impress anybody. We're getting up here to praise our Savior because He saved our soul. That's our attitude. We have a church, we're in a church area where the church tries to act like the world, and God says, I want you to be clean from the world, so that you can turn around and reach the world. Not so you can judge them, not so you can throw stones at them, not so you can belittle them, so that you can reach down, reach out, and help them. Now, just as a tree needs to be cleaned, we need to be clean. Hey, what are some other examples of cleaning? Um, I wrote down a couple here, by way of introduction. The first one I wrote down is, you need to clean your house. You need to clean your house. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many have a messy house right now. Um, my dad was dating a girl uh, and was engaged to a girl, and uh, he went to her house. It's not the girl he ended up marrying, but he went to her house, uh, and she lived with her mom, and the house was a total pigsty. I mean, total pigsty. He walked in, and to get through the living room, there was a pile of trash and a pile of trash, and there was a little walkway. And my dad looked at this girl and said, when we get married, this isn't how you're going to keep house, is it? And she said, oh, no, I would never do that. Well, some things happened, and they ended up breaking up, and uh, my dad ended up marrying my mom, and my dad was in Louisiana and happened to be in a neighborhood uh, getting boys and girls into a yard where he could do a backyard Bible club and teach them some uh, Bible stories and sing some songs and tell them about Jesus. And, and uh, he's out knocking doors, trying to find boys and girls, and this woman who he had been dating, engaged to, had gotten married and moved into that very neighborhood, and, uh, and, and, and he lived out the area just happened to be in that neighborhood, and his would have been future mother-in-law was watching the kids that day, and he went up and he knocked on the door to invite the kids, and he goes, oh! He called her name and said, I didn't know you lived here, and she said, oh, I don't live here, my daughter lives here. And opened the door, and filth piled. You know, you need to clean your house. There's nothing worse than a, a dirty house. Uh, my, my, my dad and I would go to visit um, uh, folks in, in poor neighborhoods when I, I was a little boy. lived in Mississippi for a time. And uh, in Mississippi, there are cockroaches everywhere. They're everywhere. How many of you ever lived in the southeast and you know what I'm talking about? Anybody here? They're everywhere. And if you don't keep your house clean, everyone knows. Some, somebody's going to have hair on the back of their neck stand up when I say this. But my, my dad and I would go into uh, trailers or, or um, what do you call the homes, prefab type home. And uh, my dad would be sitting on a couch, sharing the gospel with a bus family. And I'm, sit- I'm eight years old, nine years old. I'm still scarred from this, by the way. Where I'm sitting on the couch watching him witness, and I'm watching 50 to 100 cockroaches run across the wall. That is not an exaggeration. How many of you the hair on the back of your neck just stood up? Just the thought of that. It's gross. You need to clean your house. You need to clean your car. You need to clean your car. 
My fifth and sixth grade teacher's name was Mrs. Williams. She was the pastor's wife. She was like 192 years old. She was so old she couldn't get up from her desk. She taught from her desk. And we had to do everything for her. If she dropped her pen, we had to get up and get it for her. And um, uh, Mrs. Williams came to me and she said, um, she said, hey, you're, you're a hardworking boy. And I was thinking I was a fifth grader at the time. She said, um, on Wednesdays, can I take you home and have you do some cleaning around my house and I'll pay you? And I'm like, uh, yeah, of course. And so uh, I went to Mrs. Williams' car, and she had one of those old uh, Cutlass Supreme Classics. You all know which car I'm talking about. Had and it was the uh, it was like the, the the limited edition, and it was written in cursive on the side of the car there. And Mrs. Williams had a habit. She'd leave the classroom with a stack of papers, like our, our grades that had been graded and recorded, and she'd open up her back door and she'd throw them in the back seat until she couldn't open the back door because things were falling out. And then she'd get in her car and she'd just chuck them over her shoulder. And her car, I'm not lying, the back seat was all the way to the top. You couldn't even see out the mirror. Just filthy. Just filthy. You need to clean your car. Okay? And somebody here, you're going to leave here today. The only thing you're going to get out of my preaching is you can go home and clean your house and your car. Okay? But uh, nobody, it's not a good idea to have a dirty home or a dirty car. How about you need to clean yourself? Your flesh, your body. I had roommates in college. Let me tell you, they never showered. I had one guy. Aren't you glad you married, Brother Kyle? It's a lot better sharing a room with a sweet, pretty little girl than it is with three or four stinky men. Amen? Brother Kyle was in the college dorms at a Bible college where he married her. So he and I, we know. Um, uh, But um, uh, there's nothing worse than that. We had a boy who went the entire year from September to May and never changed his bed sheets. It's nasty. And, uh, and he'd sit there in, in the chair in the room and you'd see him do this. So I went to the dean of students and said, can I have a new room? <laughs> I can't live with this guy. This is disgusting. Now, I hope I'm, I'm using humor to drive home a very important point. It's not... It's not accepted in society to have a dirty home. It's not accepted in society to have a dirty car. It's not accepted in society to have a dirty body. But for some reason, it's become accepted in society to have a dirty soul and to be immoral and to be impure. And we glamorize it. And today I want to talk to you about this because it's not just something outside the walls of the church. It's something that's happening inside the church. It's not only happening inside the church. This is something that the pastor, the deacons, and every one of us in here have to do regularly or we become filthy like the world. And I want to talk about the purity of cleansing. Let's jump into this morning and look at, number one, our sinful condition. Our sinful condition. Turn over to Psalm chapter 51 with me in your Bibles. We're going to use our Bibles a lot as we do every Sunday morning. We want the Word of God to speak to us. Psalm 51 uh, and verse number 5. Here we find David. He has had an affair uh, and caused Bathsheba to have an affair against Uriah. And uh, they have uh, snuck around their spouse's backs And Bathsheba had gotten pregnant in that affair. And so David, the king, uh, has Uriah, 
killed in battle to try to cover it up. And then he quickly marries her as though to say, no, this child came about right after our wedding. And God sends Nathan, the prophet, to stick his finger in David's face and say, you have sinned. And because of your sin, God will kill that baby that Bathsheba is carrying. And so David goes and he throws himself on the floor, prostrate before God, and he is confessing his sin. And look at the admission David makes in verse uh, number 5. It says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In sin did my mother conceive me. Let her A notice, our sin is plenteous. Our sin is plenteous. I meet a lot of people who uh, have convinced themselves that they are good people, that they're morally good people. Here's the problem with that. You're comparing yourself to the wrong person. Now, everybody in this room can find someone in society that makes them look like a good person. Everybody. There might be someone in this room who's committed horrible crimes. And uh, you think, well, you know, I'm not as bad as the next guy. All of us in this room, if not all of us, could stand, uh, sit in a car in a bad part of town and say, well, at least I'm not the drug dealer on the corner. But you know what? The drug dealer on the corner can say, well, at least I've never killed anybody. And the guy who's committed murder can say, well, at least I only did it once. And the guy who's committed mass murder can say, well, at least I behaved myself in prison and I'm not being thrown in the hole. We all can find somebody that makes us look good. The truth is, we were all born in iniquity. You were born with a slant toward sin. God has His way that is perfect. And you know what all of us have in our nature? A rebellious spirit to go a different way. Your mom says, uh, when you're a baby, she says, sit here. And instead, you stand. And I heard a little story about a little boy who uh, the teacher told all the students to, uh, uh, to, to, to stand up. And he refused to stand up. And she finally was able to force him to stand up. And he looked at her, looked at her and said, I might be standing up on the outside, but I sure am sitting down on the inside. You know what? That's in all of us. Our sin is plenteous. Sometimes we fail to realize just how sinful we are. And the truth is, all of us probably commit somewhere on the average of 20 to 40 to 50 sins a day. Every time you complain, that's a sin. Every time you have a proudful moment, that's a sin. Every time you praise your own name instead of giving glory to God, that's a sin. Anytime you're checking Facebook at work when you're on the clock, that's a sin. You understand me? We sin and 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 we don't even understand how much we sin. And David said, I was born in iniquity. It is my nature to sin. Letter B, notice our sin is profound. Our sin is profound. I want you to turn over to Psalm chapter 19, uh, verse 12 with me, if you will. While you're turning there, let me quote for you Jeremiah, or rather let me read for you Jeremiah chapter number uh, 17 and verse number 9. I want to make sure I get this word for word. I have a pretty good idea what the verse says. But I want to make sure I get it word for word. Jeremiah 17 and verse number 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? We are so sinful that to actually fully wrap our mind around it, 
is like trying to wrap your mind around the depths of the Atlantic Ocean. It's deep. It's profound. The best man or best woman in here, apart from Christ, you can only clean yourself up so much. There's sin that just continues to happen in the background. Psalm, you in Psalm 19? Psalm 19. Let's read verse 12 out loud together. Give me just a moment to get over there. Psalm 19. Ready? Here we go. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Secret faults. You know what secret faults are? Those are sins that we're committing that we don't even realize are sins. Those are sins that are going on in our life. We are completely oblivious to the fact that we have these going on. To us, they're even a secret. What I'm trying to help paint for you this morning is that you are a sinner. And that might not be popular to say uh, at the culture at large. The word sin may even be labeled as politically incorrect. But the fact is there is a God and there is a moral law and I have broke it and I break it every day and you have broke it and you break it every day. Our sin is, um, uh, uh, let's see, our sin is plenteous, our sin is profound and let her see notice our sin is painful. Our sin is painful. Um, uh, turn over with me to James chapter number 3. James chapter 3 and verse number 12. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 18 says this. It says, Pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goeth before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. We are all guilty of pride. And pride brings about destruction. That haughty spirit. That I know better than you. I'm better than you. I, 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 my way is best. And you don't know what you're talking about. And, and you need to listen to me. That selfish attitude. You know what it ends up doing? It brings about a fall. Uh, our sin is painful. Look with me at James chapter number three and verse number twelve. It says there, uh, can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either a vine figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation or a good lifestyle his works with meekness of wisdom. Verse 14, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, speaking of earthly wisdom, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is what? It's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. From where envies and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work, or there is great Pain. There's great confusion. There's great disorder. Verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle and easily, easily, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make a, uh, a peace. Look at chapter four, verse one. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of the lusts? That war in your temple. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and can, cannot obtain. Ye fight uh, uh, and war. Yet ye have not because ye ask not. The Bible talks about here how great strife comes because of our pain. Let me just give you quickly here uh, what, who our sin hurts. 
Our sin is painful. The very first thing I wrote down is that our, our and it's not going to be on the screen, but it write, you can write it down anyway. It hurts our Savior. It hurts our Savior. When I sin, whether it's, in my mind, a little sin or a really big sin, sin hurts the Savior. I hope everybody understands this. There are different degrees of sin when it comes to earthly consequences. But when it comes to the cross of Calvary, all sin equally put Jesus on the tree. You all listening? Adam and Eve did not commit murder in the Garden of Eden. You know what they did? They disobeyed. Now, in my book, disobedience is not as bad as murder. But my disobedience, or uh, the the disobedience of my great-grandfather Adam, it murdered Christ on the tree. So do you think when it comes to the cross of Calvary that all sin is the same? I'd say yes. Now, different sins on earth carry different earthly consequences, but all sin carries the same eternal consequence. You know, my sin put Jesus on the cross. And Jesus has rescued me from that sin because I put my faith in Him. Why do I keep going back and doing the things that hurt God? My sin hurts my Savior. The second thing I want you to write down below this is my sin hurts others. My sin hurts others. Do you know that every sin you do in some way affects somebody? If I were to stand uh, uh, up on a ledge over a rock quarry that had filled up with water, and I were to take a little pebble or a big rock, and I were to toss the little pebble in there, the ripples would be small, but there would be ripples. If I took a big rock and I had to to really work to get it up chest high and I were to lob it down in there, it hits the water and there's this, there's this larger ripples that work their way out to the shore. And when you throw the pebbles of sin out, what you're doing is you're causing a ripple effect that hurts others. Not only does my sin hurt my Savior, not only does my sin hurt others, but please understand this morning that my sin hurts me. My sin hurts me. It tears me down. Satan wants nothing more than to glamorize sin in your heart. Satan wants nothing more than to cause pain and hurt and destruction. And listen, I'm with many of you, I watched the news with great horror as that gunman shot up El Paso, Texas, and another gunman shot up, shot up part of Dayton, Ohio, and all oh, the sin and how it hurt others, how it hurt those who did it, how it hurts and grieves the heart of God. But you don't have to take an assault weapon and mow down a bunch of people to hurt the Savior and hurt others and hurt yourself, if you go out of here and you commit sin against others, you're not only hurting those other people, you're hurting yourself. And God in heaven sits there and He weeps. The Bible tells us that we grieve the Holy Spirit of God within us. Our sinful condition. We need a group of people in this community that stand up and say, I hate my sin. Number two, we see, number one, our simple condition. Number two, our suffering corruption. Our suffering corruption. Quickly, letter A, notice, the world celebrates sin. Turn over to Romans chapter 1 and verse 28 with me. Romans chapter 1. In in Isaiah 5, you can write the reference down and look at it later, but the idea in in Isaiah 5, verse 20, uh, God says through the pen of Isaiah, He says, Woe unto them that call good evil and evil good. Are we not living in a day where good is called evil? And evil is called good? If if you are for traditional marriage, then you're hateful. 
wait a minute, traditional marriage, I, I don't even like the term traditional marriage. If you're for God's definition of marriage, that, that everyone in society is held to for 6,000 years, you're a hater? What? How about you're strange if you don't hold to it? Good is called evil. Evil is called good. I stand here today with a broken heart and tell you, America uh, kills millions of babies every year. The large majority of abortion clinics, do you know where they're located? They're located in inner cities. Did you know the founder of Planned Parenthood was a racist that hated black people? A known racist that hated black people. Why is it that Planned Parenthood has the majority of their, of their facilities in black neighborhoods? Can I say something? If you love a community, you don't work to kill their babies. People say, well, uh, we need to stand up for women's rights. No, we need to stand against the slaying and killing of, of, of millions of babies and the attempt to eradicate one of the races out of our planet. God loves black people just as much as He loves white people and Spanish people and Asian people. God, uh, while He sees races and creeds, He loves all of us the same. And my friend, when you get to heaven, if you have a racist bone in your body, God's going to put you in a choir where everybody's a different color than you and you're going to have to sing with them. We're going to praise our Savior together. We have a, sin, we have a world that celebrates sin. Look at Romans 1.28. Let's read down to verse number 32. The Bible says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. That's where we are. We have kicked God out of the courtroom, and we've kicked God out of the public school. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. I believe corporately as a country, God has turned us over, or is close to turning us over to a reprobate mind. Why? To do those things which are inconvenient, being filled with all... Tell me if this does not describe our country. Being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication and wickedness and covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Boy, I can make a case that every one of those is popular in America today. Every last one of them. Look at verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. The world celebrates sin. Celebrates sin. Letter B. Our Savior condemns sin. Our Savior condemns sin. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. I'm going to save my comments on letter A until we've developed the point here in letter B. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Are you all with me this morning? Everybody awake? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm getting ready to make the main point of the message here in the next 5 to 10 minutes as we wrap up. So make sure you're listening intently. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. We're going to read down through chapter 7, verse 1. Wherefore, come out from among them. This is 
This is the Apostle Paul that founded the church of Corinth, telling church members that they are to come out from the world. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, filthiness of the Spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know what? God says you need to take a bath. You need to be cleansed. You need to hate sin. You don't need to glamorize it. You need to condemn it. Now, Christian, you are in living in the world, but you are not to be of the world. Here we have a world that stands up and they say, Woo! Look at us! We're immoral! Woo! Look at us! We're having fun! Woo! Look at us! We're evil! And God's over here saying, I hate your sin. Your sin destroys. Your sin tears down. Your sin makes you impure and ugly. And Christian, here you are in the middle. Are you going to celebrate along with the world or are you going to condemn along with your Savior? Let me speak to all of the non-married people here this morning. You listening? For 50 to 60 years, the world has tried to brainwash you into believing that premarital sex is not a sin. They celebrate premarital sex. You listening? The Bible says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers. You listening? God will judge. You can celebrate along with the world or you can come along the side of God and say, I'm going to condemn sin and I'm going to live pure. When did it become popular for Christians to stand over here and be excited about their filth? You don't celebrate a filthy house, you don't celebrate a filthy car, and you don't celebrate going a week or two without a shower. Why do we stand over here and celebrate being filthy morally? Why do we stand over here and act like it's okay to look like the world in their filth and talk like the world in their filth and act like the world in their filth? God says, I saved you from that filth and I want you to be holy. I want you to be clean. I want you to be righteous because I saved you from the pig pen. Don't run back over and waller in it and then brag about it. Letter C, the Christian confesses sin. The Christian confesses sin. I heard someone once wisely say, the sinner leaps into sin and loves it. The Christian ought to lap or accidentally fall into sin and then loathe it. The, the, the sinner, the wicked one, leaps into sin and, oh, look how muddy I am. They love it. The Christian ought to lap into sin and then loathe it. Sin nailed your best friend to the tree. Will you celebrate it? Sin betrayed the Savior. Will you love it? Oh, listen, every day I do something wrong that I shouldn't do. Whether it's a crossword to one of my children or my wife, or a moment where I'm lifted up in pride, or, or maybe a, a, a temper that flares up a little bit in my spirit, or uh, a selfish uh, attitude, or maybe a crossword or a complaining spirit. Boy, I ought to immediately, when the Spirit of God strikes me in my heart and says, What are you doing? I ought to bow my head and say, Oh, God, cleanse me. Oh, God. 
wash me. God, I don't want that filth on my record. I don't want that filth on my soul. I want to hop in the spiritual shower. I want to be washed up with the soap. And I want to be made clean again in Your presence. First John 1 and 8, uh, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins. And that idea of confessing is we're not just confessing, we're forsaking. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us. To cleanse us. Number three, notice our spiritual cleansing. Our spiritual cleansing. Let me move quickly through these. And I have an A, B, and C for you here. Letter A. Notice we must hate our sin. Turn over to Psalm chapter 51 with me, if you will. Back over there. Psalm chapter number 51. We're circling the runway. Now, I am careful to say um, uh, uh, I close because I don't want to be guilty of lying because then I have to confess my sin. Okay, um, if I say we're, we're going to close and we're going to close, but uh, we're we're circling the runway. I can't tell you how many loops we're going to make around the airport. We may be circling for a minute or two here, okay? But we're circling the runway. Psalm 51. Uh, let's look at just a few verses here. And remember, again, David had committed adultery and David had committed murder. He has filthied himself. He's standing there in the presence of God. And for all practical purpose, he is covered in, in just manure. He is covered in filth. He stinks. He's nasty. Uh, uh, and God sees him as uh, a volatile and abominable because of his sin. Look at verse number 2. Uh, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Can I tell you what David's saying here? I am repulsed by what I see in myself. I hate my sin. Do you know, I'm going to speak to the men today because I'm not a woman. I don't know how you all work per se in this area. But I am a man, so I know how men work. Do you know that most men won't really change? Until they're faced with the consequences of their decisions. Are you men listening to me this morning? I have no men who've drunk and drunk and drunk and drunk alcohol. I'm thinking of a man right now named Ulysses de Leon. He was in my Spanish church in, um, in Glen Burnie. Ulysses had a major drinking problem. And uh, Ulysses had become abusive with his family one night. And it was the middle of the winter in, um, in Baltimore. It was snow on the ground. It was probably about, it was in the teens outside. And uh, they were there illegal in the country illegally. So the wife did not want to call the police. She was afraid of what would happen. So she called me and she said, Pastor, my husband is drunk. Él es un borracho. And he is abusing me, me and the girls. And so I hopped in the car with my neighbor, who is a Christian. And we went to downtown Baltimore in a very unsafe neighborhood. And we went into his house. Ulysses was about this tall. Ulysses tried to take a swing at me, but he missed by about 20 feet. Okay. Um, uh, I had to walk Ulysses out of the house and leave him. Well, I was tempted to leave him in the cold. I, I ended up putting him up in a hotel. But I had to take him away from his family. And then I had to go with his wife to court. You know what? Once Ulysses started to see that he was at risk of losing his two sweet girls and his wife, Ulysses got serious about change. Let me tell you the problem with that, because Ulysses, to my knowledge, never changed. Please don't miss what I'm about to say. I hope you're really listening intently. Ulysses did not hate his sin. Ulysses hated the consequences of his sin. Christian, until you learn to see your sin the way God sees it, you will never actually get victory over sin in your life. You must see your sin 
through the perspective and eyes of God, then you must hate that sin the way God hates it. Not just the consequences. You must hate your sin. David came to a place where he was afraid of losing his child, but David hated his sin and God gave him true forgiveness. Letter B, notice, we must heed God's word. We must heed God's word. Turn over to Psalm 119, verse number 9. And if you don't have these verses memorized, oh, I highly recommend that you do. My parents had me memorize these verses probably prior to the age 10, and I'm so glad they did. These verses, the Lord has brought these to my heart and mind many times over and over again. Again, John 15, 3 says, Now ye are clean through the words which I, Jesus, have spoken unto you. Well, what is the Bible? The Bible is the written word. Jesus is uh, the living word. He's also the written word. You're cleaned through the Bible. Now, with that in mind, look at Psalm 119 and look at verse number 9. Let's read it together. Ready? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Keep reading with me. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What good is it to hop in the shower if you don't have any soap in the shower? You ever done that? You get the water turned on and you hop in and you open up the soap bottle and you just you can't squeeze even one more drop out. And what do you do? You start calling people's names. Hey, bring me some soap! Either that or you have to walk across the floor and make a big mess on the floor. What good is it to try to take a spiritual bath without soap? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed, by obeying, by reading, by understanding, by meditating, by studying the Word of God. Thy Word... Thy word have I hid. I've memorized it. I've studied it. I understand it. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you, God. What good is the memorization of God's word if you're not going to go out and practice God's word? How do we cleanse our ways? We must take heed. We must understand it. Then we must go forth and live it. Our spiritual cleansing. You come into church this morning, and how does God see you? I'm not asking if you took a shower this morning. I'm not asking if your clothes are pressed, and you came in wearing a nice outfit, and your jewelry matches, uh, 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 your necklace matches your earrings, ladies, or, 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 or your shoes are shined. That's not what I'm asking you this morning. I'm asking for what only God sees. Are you a filthy, immoral mess that's walked in here covered in sin, or are you taking heed to God's Word? Are you tender to the Word of God? Letter C, notice, we must hedge our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, uh, it says, uh, um, now I'm drawing a blank. Someone help me get started here. Proverbs 4.23. Come on, someone here knows the verse. Keep thy heart. Here it is. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. That word keep means to put a fence around. You know what? There's nothing better than getting to a place where you're clean. How many of you here ever raised a boy from child to adulthood? Raise your hand if you've raised a boy from child to adulthood. You know what you go through when you raise a boy and he gets to be 13? You start dealing with acne and body odor. Do you not? I can remember being 13. And my mom 
walked into the room I was at. I was in my sister's room, and she tossed me a stick of Old Spice deodorant. And I caught it, and I looked at her, and I said, what's this? And she said, it goes under your arms, and you need it. Put it on. And I opened it up, and I smelled it, and I said, oh, this smells good. Can I put it all over my body? And she said, just go take a shower and start putting that under your arms. You know, when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, I could get away with taking a bath a couple of times a week. I can't get away with that anymore. Sometimes I'll work real hard here on Sunday, and I'll get up and preach hard, and I'll sweat, and, um, and I'll get home, and I'm exhausted. So I collapse in my bed, and I fall asleep, and then I wake up Monday, and Monday used to be my day off, and I get up, and I do yard work and stuff, and I get to Monday night, and it's been two whole days since I've taken a shower. And Angela's like, get in the bathroom. <laughs> but you develop, you develop a culture of being a clean person. And I hope by now physically you've learned that. You develop a, a program to keep your house clean. You clean certain rooms on certain days of the week and you stop and you vacuum out your car and you get your car washed and, and you keep those clean. Christian, you need to develop a program where you are confessing your sin to the Lord. You're following the leading of His Spirit. You're in the Word. You're praying. Your heart is being cleaned. And you are that tree that's rained on regularly, that's kept clean regularly. The bugs stay off the fruit of your life. And you are a clean tree and it's a culture and then you put a guard around a fence around to keep it that way how about it this morning christian as you look inside you hopping in the spiritual shower regularly or are you a filthy mess have you been glamorizing sin or have you been condemning sin let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning lord i pray that you would help us to get honest with ourselves to look into the mirror of the Word of God, to see the filth that's on our face and in our life. Lord, to be broken over our own sin. To see our sin the way You see it. To understand that our sin was going to condemn us to hell had it not nailed You to a tree. Lord, may we get serious about being cleaned up morally. May we be serious about dealing with sin that's real in our life. We'll never produce fruit for the Savior. We'll never be loving and joyous and peaceful and and temperate and meek and folks of faith and, and honesty if we're not clean. Lord, I think of Jonathan Edwards that stood up and preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And as the people began to see themselves as sinful, they began to cling to the doorposts, began to cling to the walls, the pillars of the building, and fear that hell was going to open, them, open up and swallow them whole because of their sin. Lord, America needs an honest reckoning with you. And the folks in this room, many need an honest reckoning with you. Lord, somebody in here... If they were to die today, they'd go straight to hell because they've not had their sins forgiven. They've not received the gift of eternal life. Help that one, help those couple, help those few to come to you today and receive salvation as the free gift that it is. And then, Lord, of the saved, may we be serious about our sin. May we 
get in the habit of taking that spiritual bath in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes still closed, how many of you say, Pastor, in the message today, God laid something in my heart that's there, that's wrong, that I have not been dealing with properly. The Lord made something clear in my life of something concrete that needs to change. Pastor, would you please pray for me? If that's you, would you slip up your hand right where you are? Don't hesitate. God brought something to your mind that needs to change. Something in your mind that you have a let go and you are filthy in the sight of God. You're not pure in the sight of God. You know you need to be cleansed. Will you deal with it today? Don't walk out here and keep practicing that habit. Deal with it today. Let's stand together to our feet.